Turn with me to Matthew chapter 21 this, or 20 this morning, if you will. Try to squeeze around somebody if you don't have a Bible. Let me read our scripture this morning and then we'll um, get into what we uh, want to talk about this morning. Can we pray, please? Um, Lord Jesus, uh, I, I just really... Um, struggle sometimes doing this because uh, I feel uh, like I'm the worst of sinners. And uh, it's really an amazing thing, your, your grace and mercy in our lives, that you would use such broken vessels to speak such an eternal truth to people. And so that's all I count on today. So I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be so pleasing in your sight that you would see fit to do a, a miraculous thing in all of our lives that, uh, today, especially me. Amen. It's difficult when we um, go to the Gospels, we begin to dissect some of the Gospels, and we begin to actually look at the life of Christ, and we begin to see and kind of dissect what he was about. This morning, I, I guarantee you, it's going to be somewhat tough and difficult for you because it's been very tough and difficult for me as I've looked at the Scripture because of the absolute convicting nature of the Scripture. I really want to encourage you this morning to um, really listen this morning, if you could, for yourself and not for anybody else. But really try to sit this morning and say, Lord, what are you trying to say to me this morning in this Scripture? How can you move me? What can you, how can you convict me? What do you have to say to me this morning with this? And then the other warning this morning is I want you to open up your hands to the very, very real possibility of New Testament gospel conviction in your life today. Open up your hands to it. Don't resist it. If you walk out of here this morning and you feel that there's something going on and you feel, wow, that was, that was really heavy this morning, maybe that's a first work or a second work or whatever it is that the Lord is wanting to intend for you and to have for you today. Okay, so we'll trust that. But those are my, those are the two things I kind of want to make sure that we, we hit on. Let's, let's, let's read this scripture and then we'll, we'll whiteboard a little bit because I want to have some fun with that today. Look there in verse, uh, or uh, chapter 20 of Matthew. Starting in verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, this would be James and John, by the way. The story is told twice in the Gospels. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons uh, came to uh, Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. Verse 21, and Jesus says, what is it you want? A real popular question that Jesus asks the people who confront and talk with him. What is it that you want? And she said, pretty bold statement. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your kingdom. These are people that had uh, spent quite a few uh, hours with Jesus. And so uh, this question is a pretty interesting question. I'm sure the, and you'll, it'll, you'll read later, you'll see that the disciples were pretty mad that this question was asked. They were probably mad for many reasons, but... Um, 
she says, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at the right hand and the other at your left in your kingdom. And look what Jesus says. He says, you don't know what you're asking. Jesus said to them, uh, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. <laughs> In verse 23, Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink my cup from my cup. We'll get into that in a little later. But to sit at my right hand or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. Verse 24, when the ten heard about this, look, look, look what they're acting like. They were indignant with the two brothers. It's all a mess. It always, it always is. It always will be. Even with us. We're going to get indignant with each other. We're all going to get selfish. We're all going to ask the wrong questions. They were indignant with the two brothers. And Jesus calls them together. And look how Jesus responds to them. He doesn't, you know, sit them off to the side and say, boys, you're all going to get a spanking and I'm going to rebuke you right now. He just knows that who he's dealing with and what's going on in front of him. And he does with us too. And he says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. He's talking about this world that they live in. The world that they live in is a world of authority. A world of power. And look what he says in verse 26. Not so with you. Not so with you. He's making a distinction. Instead, whoever wants to become your, become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to what? Serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the first part in our series of what we're calling our Journey 3 series. We spent a couple weeks talking about the importance of our journey into the gospel as people. And then we talked about our journey into community. And now we want to talk about our journey into service. The definitions that I have up here are... I want to talk to you about this because this kind of flows into what Jesus is talking about. He's trying to find some definitions for culture. And here are a few things. One of the definitions for culture is this, the tastes that rule a particular group of people. Secondly, the habits and interests and values of a particular group of people. And thirdly, the broad tendencies that mark a particular group in general. When you read in verse 21 there, you see a woman that comes with her sons and asks the question, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your kingdom. You're seeing a woman there who's been immersed in the, what we would call the culture of the world. And we see that her sons and herself are interested in things that the world is interested in. The world, the world that we live in, does have a culture. 
Now, it's important that you know that where I'm going today is I'm going to draw a distinction for you from the culture of our world to the culture and the kind of economy, not the economy, the kingdom of Christ. A very big difference. But she's coming and she's saying this. She says, I want my sons to sit at your right hand in the kingdom. Well, obviously, she's coming from the culture of the world. She's interested in this. She's interested in individual reward. Sound like us? She's interested in individual recognition. She's interested in individual distinction. That sounds like me. Did you know that I even have a problem when I had, I faced this this last week. I was talking with a guy about something that we're doing in the church and he brought up this idea. I had had that. I, I've been talking about that idea that he brought up for like years. He was speaking it to me like it was brand new on the, in the world. I was so mad that he was speaking it to me that it, that it was like that. I thought that he would be, you know, a little bit more, what, mature? As if I was being mature when I'm sitting that back and going, well, I want him to know that that was my idea. I want him to know that I thought, I've been thinking of that. Good grief, right? Why do I want that so bad? Well, I want that so bad because I want distinction. I want reward. I want, oh, that was, Joel had a good idea. Good grief. I was telling a couple this last week. Do you know that some couples, some couples, if you sit in front of some couples, they talk and they have this like massive need to be right about people that are in the movies. They'll talk about whatever movie. Oh yeah, that was, that was, um, uh, Mel Gibson in that. And, uh, the, the, the wife will say, no, it wasn't. I'm sitting there. I'm just waiting. No, it wasn't. She, he, I said, of course it was. That was that movie and he was in that. And, no, he didn't play in that. He played in it. You know, I'm sitting there going, you've got to be kidding me. What's going on right now? You've got to be kidding me that you guys are arguing about movie character names. It's really not going to mean anything in the grand scheme of life. When Jesus comes back, he's not going to look at you and say, hey, by the way, when, what did Mel Gibson play in in that? As if. But we're like that. We want to be right. We want to have recognition. That was what was going on here. It's the real, it's real basic, by the way. It's not too complicated, this mother and her sons. This is what we want. We want to be recognized. She was obviously also interested in her sons having authority and power. So the things that we're already listing here, you can see that we want recognition. This is a world of recognition. All right? This is a world of power. This is a world of authority. Chad, fix that for me. This last next week, man. Bouncing. It sounds like us. This is a world of individualism. Very easy for us to relate in this world. This is the world that in 122 waking hours in a week we're immersed in. It's important that you start, you, we, we grasp a hold of this because that's what was going on with her and that's what was going on with her sons and her sons didn't do anything to stop it. She didn't think about anybody else other than to her and her two sons and heaven would be the way for them to improve their own individual and private selves. It's a pretty bold statement that she has to make and yet 
we probably live like this a lot. We're very concerned about us. Don't worry, we take care of us real well. And that comes from, I think, a culture and the culture that we live in because the culture that we live in in this world has habits and interests and values and they have tastes, okay? And they have broad tendencies. And these are some of those broad tendencies. Now, remember where I'm going with this. I'm going to make you, it's important that you get the whole thing. Because when Jesus comes in, Jesus is a revolutionary. He makes revolutionary statements. He's asking for a revolutionary life. And that life is completely the polar opposite of this world and this culture. Jesus has a whole new culture of his own that he's ushering in and bringing to us. This is an interesting quote. When Christians accept a consumeristic culture's definition at face value, because I think many Christians do, they look to the church primarily to provide them with a means to improve their private individual lives. Follow this now. Enhance their self-esteem and give them a sense of purpose. That's what the church to the consumer is supposed to do. Worship becomes a form of therapy whose sole aim is to improve the emotional state of individuals and to energize them for the week ahead. Rah, rah. Real life is done at the office, in the schools, at homes, or in the governmental halls. To a consumerist, the church is a spiritual sideshow providing a spiritual fix so that people can be successful in real life. And there's a lot of truth in that statement. And that comes from an individualistic understanding of life. And we can go into the history of that. We don't have much time on that. There's a reason why we Western Americans think the way we think, folks. There really is. And it has a lot to do with the past that came before us. And what grandma and grandpa and great grandma and grandpa were educated and taught in the pulpit and then grandma and grandpa and then your parents and then you. And it's kind of this trickle down line effect. But on top of this all this request, look at the way in which Christ handles their struggle. He doesn't rebuke their desire. Instead, what he does is he redefines the road to greatness by talking about a completely different culture. The revolutionary hinge in this scripture, the thing that everything teeters on, is verse 26. Look there. Verse 26. Not he... Well, pop up there real quick, too, when he says... um, let me go to 23 again. You will indeed drink my cups. He's, he's talking about suffering. I'm going to get to that in a minute. But to sit at, at, the, uh, at my right hand or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. Verse 24. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. And Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. In other words, Jesus is saying there, hey, hey guys, this is just a world they're, they're living in. They're, they're in many ways, they're individuals who are immersed in this world. These are the values, these are the things that they understand as a part of this culture that they live in. 
But then look what he says. Not so with you. Not so with you. And this is one of the things that we as followers of Christ, really, that really needs to be the, the, our mantra. Our whole life needs to be not so with me. Not so with us. When I was a little boy, I can remember when you get into early early adolescence, <laughs> asking my dad for the further the further extension on the curfew. After all, I had important things to do as an eighth grade young man. One was to go to, we used to have these basement dances at the church. And uh, my favorite song at that time was Barry Manilow, Mandy. You know Mandy? Oh, Mandy. You guys don't know it? Oh, man, this is how bad I, it is. And we'd slow dance and, you know, I was hoping for a kiss, you know. My dad didn't know much about the kissing, but... My friend comes to me and he says, hey, Joel, we're going to have this dance and there's a couple of them we have to go to. And this is when I started to really promote, get promoted into like heavy hanging with people, which you go to multiple houses. It's kind of the pre thing before bar hopping, you know. <laughs> so, hey, we're going to, and he looks at me, he says, we need some more time. I went to my dad. It's all good, man. Curfew's extended. Eighth grade, my curfew is 10. Curfew's extended. Go to your dad and talk to him. I went to my dad knowing how it was going to go. Not good. Dad, you know, and I, boy, don't we ever know how to manipulate it at that age. We give them all the story behind it. Dad, just want you to know there's some people I'm going to this dance with, a couple of the girls. You know, I want to bring, I'm going to be bringing in the church on Sunday. <laughs> it's true. It's so true. He was, a, he was a pastor, you know. So I knew, you know, I was now, now suddenly I was the dating missionary, you know. <laughs> I get, I, I get the whole story. I get halfway through the story and I see this glaze come over his face. Have you ever, you know, the parental glaze, which is, it doesn't matter whatever you say from here on out to eternity. You could tell me that you went to heaven five times and I wouldn't be listening. I mean, it just doesn't matter. He looks at me and he says, what do you want? What do you want? And I said, I, I need a, extension, like a bad mic, you know? And he says, what? He said, what do you want? I says, I want a curfew extension. Can I stay out tonight till, this was a big request, you know, 1130. No. <laughs> um, and then here it was. Well, Gary's doing it. This, this was a bad thing to do. Gary, Gary, all the other guys, Gary and the friends, you know, all their parents, you know, they're, they're doing it. My dad's response was, um, that's great, son. Uh, but which one of them is my son? Well, me. All right. And you don't live your life by what they say. You live your life by what I say. It was then that I began to realize that even in my adolescence, things were going to be vastly different around my house. When Jesus says, not so with you, this is the statement 
please hear this. This is the statement of revolution. Christ is introducing us for us a whole new way of thinking. A whole new way of doing life. It is a statement of distinction. It is God saying to us, we know, we, we, we no longer live our lives by what this culture that you live in says. Things are different around here now. That's what's going on here. It's not only different, it's a radical, almost, it's a radical inversion of the things you value and feel and the things you, 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 you know, everything about this culture, it's the inversion, it's the opposite. It's a complete reversal, it's a complete counter to everything we hear. And so what this actually becomes, and this is what Jesus taught, was this culture is what we would call a way of the cross culture. Okay. Not so with you. That's the distinction. And now Jesus begins to take us into what it would look like. What what is the, what is the the definitions of this culture? So now, if you take this definition, you see the tastes, the habits, the interests, the values, the broad tendency of a group in general. You begin to take that and you begin to apply it now over here. And you begin to say, now what is it about that culture that's different? And that's what Jesus loves to talk about. That's why we read the Gospels. And they're very convicting. Because two things come out in this culture. And one, we're not, we don't, we're not gonna like it if you're like me. And it's this. We hear this message here today. And the first thing that I'd like to share with you today is that in this culture, in this distinct culture, in the not so with you, not so with you, in this culture, Jesus actually asks us to actually embrace, this is really, you're going to be upset with me, to actually embrace a life of suffering. Not in a sadomasochistic way. Don't run out today and say, I'm going to be a martyr for God and run, you know, and hold up a sign in front of on 8th Avenue and let people run you over. Good grief. But Jesus does say, definitely, and we get this in the scriptures, that we can actually embrace a life of suffering. It sounds contrary to the way you think and I think on a daily basis because, are you kidding me? All of our lives are about how we can avoid suffering. I talk with many of you throughout the week and you sit down with me and I love hearing your story and about what's going on. But many of you actually, when you're into suffering, you're asking the wrong question. And the wrong question is, how can I fix my suffering? What? And you say this, what am I doing wrong to bring me to this point? As if suffering is always equated to something you do sinfully. And it's not. Jesus lived a life of suffering. And in his culture, his followers will suffer. What is Jesus referring to when he says the cup? Look there. Look there. Verse 22. 
He says, you don't know what you are asking. Can you drink the cup that I am going to drink? Anybody have a shot there? What do you think he's saying? What's that? Uh huh. Can you drink the cup that I am about to drink? There's kind of a twofold meaning here. Let me make sure that we get for the first part is this. When man fell away from, from the Lord, from our creator God, God's wrath was upon mankind. Okay? Many of you that come out of the Baptist tradition, and I'm, I have some of that, you've heard the hellfire and brimstone preaching about heaven and hell. There's a part of that preaching that is right. And it's the wrath part of that preaching that is very right for us to understand God's wrath on all mankind. God's wrath is there because of man's sin. Christ on the cross, now follow this now, drank the cup of God's wrath for us. It's beautiful. We didn't have to drink the cup of God's wrath. Christ was provided to drink the cup. The second piece of the meaning for the cup, when Jesus says here, and of course she says, we can, well, you, you know, you couldn't because you weren't a deity. You're not, you're not, you're not incarnate son of God. But there's another piece here that's, that's, that's going on when she says, when Jesus says, you will indeed drink from my cup. That's Jesus' basic way to say it in our, in our language, which is this. Suffering is completely normative for me and for my believers and for the people that are in my family. It's completely normative. Philippians 1.29 says, For to you it has been, listen, for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ. Not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. This scripture actually is saying that it is our privilege to suffer for Christ, to suffer in this life. It's hard to hear, isn't it? It's difficult, especially for many of us that are in very deep, dark places. Let me make sure I say something to you here. As it relates to this piece, when you talk about these things, the habits, the interests, the way that people talk, they have a language that they talk in. Every culture does. They have slang, you know, all kinds of ways that they, they use words. We have a language that we speak in. And it's the language of hope-filled suffering. That's what our, it is because every one of us that talk and are with each other, we all have daily struggles, do we not? We all have unique pain that we're facing that all of us can kind of get in touch with, but we all have and need to understand that the language of our lives is it's okay to struggle, but it's a hope-filled struggle. We have a king in the midst of our struggle. Some of us have a hard time understanding that they can speak this language to their friends, that it's okay to have this language. And it's okay to not necessarily have a friend that when he speaks the language to look at him and say, 
You know, this is what you need to do. We've tr- we're trying to get away from that quick answer thing as much as what does it really look like to be in culture and to hear each other and to let you speak that language. But I carry with me a hope-filled Savior as I talk to you, right? I think some of us here are very, well, we're filled with a lot of shame about our suffering. We don't like the fact that our marriage is in the crapper, maybe, for many of you. We just feel like, good grief, what in the world? How could I let anybody know this is going on? Because when I do, they're going to they're gonna think differently of me. We cannot think differently of each other if we all just realize it's a comp. We all use this language. We all speak the same thing of terrible suffering, but hope-filled. The cup of suffering. Let's talk about this for a minute. This is unique. James, one of the brothers... James was the first of the apostolic band to die a martyr. It's recorded in uh, Acts 12.2. For him, the cup of suffering was martyrdom. It was death. John, who's the other brother, lived to the great old age in Ephesus and died a natural death at near 100 years old. For him, the cup of, the cup of suffering was the constant discipline and struggle of the Christian life throughout his years. In many ways, like I said, we all drink the same cup of suffering and it's the same language we speak to each other. But it's important to also to understand that God gives us different cups of suffering. We can trust Him with His plans. Many of you are going to go through your entire life and you will not lose your parents. I've lost both of mine. God knows that. That's my cup of suffering. And God uses that now to minister greatly his message to many sons and daughters who I talk to that have lost their parents. So he, and even in the greatest of my pain, is being glorified. Some of the single women in our community, which there are many here, they drink a very different cup of suffering than I will ever face in my life. Will I ever find a man who will love me? And every day they drink the cup of suffering loneliness. And so do the men here. That's not a cup that I drink. But that's a cup that you drink. You ever shared a drink at a restaurant? You ever had such a good drink in a restaurant that you look to your friends and say, you got to taste this? Hmm? You ever had such a good, unbelievable bottle of wine, red wine, that you had to look at your friend and say, this will jettison you to realms of complete utopia? Taste it. Do you know what it means to be the church? It means that I would, with that single lady that I just talked about, or that single man, it means that they would look at me and say, take a drink. 
That's what it means. That's what the church means. The, the cup of suffering, follow this now, is a communal cup. It's not an individual cup. You share your suffering with me. It's like you look across the table as we are brothers and sisters and you push your cup to me and you say, take a taste, not in the same way of the red wine. Take the same taste of the vinegar. So we become somewhat in tune. We try to understand the unique cups that we're all drinking and yet we do understand that we drink the same cup of suffering. But the thing that I want you to remember in all this is I want you to remember that you're being told a message that I think is error-filled in this world, and that's that we don't have to suffer. We want to all be happy. I ran across this quote on happiness and says this, Unable to conceive of a God who does not regard human happiness as the be-all and end-all of all creation, the practitioners of I'm okay, you're okay spirituality cannot accept the central paradox of religious faith that the secret of happiness lies in renouncing the right to be happy. God never at any place in the history of the world and any place in the scriptures has said, I'm promising you happiness every day of your life. Never said it. He's promised his presence in this place that we live in. He's promised us, hopefully, if we get together as the church, his people to drink the communal cup. By the way, anybody drinking the cup with you? You drinking anybody else's cup? Are we all such living such individual lives that we're really happy with our own drink? Here's our hope. I love it. Hebrews 4.15 For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet without sin. Listen to what it says, brothers and sisters. Receive it deep into your hearts today, this scripture. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. It's beautiful. So we actually are a people in this culture that actually embrace a life of suffering. And then I have just a short time with you. Please allow me to go a little over today because I want to I make get through with this to set us up for our weeks to come. We actually embrace, we actually do embrace in this culture a life of service. It's tough to talk about this sometimes. It's tough to talk about some of the biblical themes because so many of us have such really bad baggage when it relates to so many of these major themes that Jesus talks about. You know one of the most you know one of the most terrible things that goes on inside the church is many of you your understanding of church and truth comes out of a really error-filled history. And because of that history it taints a lot of the things that are being could even be said today. But Jesus is good. He's patient with us, right? like he was with the disciples in this story. We actually embrace. Now, look at the words I use there. We actually embrace a life of suffering, and then we actually embrace a life of service. We do, and, and what I'm trying to get us to understand is, this is more than just like these cool things we do. 
This is more than cool things we talk about at church. This is like, this like, this is supposed to be, we actually like embrace the life of this. Like when we go out of here, we actually think about it. Right? For, for me too. Listen to this quote. Sacrifice and service is almost entirely lost from our Christian character in many Western highly industrialized nations. Christianity is perceived as the best way of fulfilling ourselves, not the only way of finding peace with God through Christ's death, which calls for the death of self. The way of the cross culture. Let me just give you a couple of things. This really convicted me today. The way of the cross culture is a group of people who are on a death march to the foot of the cross. The death of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is what defines the rest of our lives. The daily death that we undergo as we turn from self to Christ, from looking within to looking without, from seeking our own happiness in glory to seeking God's glory in the good of our neighbor. The way of the cross culture is a death march. We don't like to talk about death much. The way of the cross culture is a culture that we reject the world, world's assessment of greatness by numbers and intellectual standing, by race or color, academic excellence and sports achievement or size of the bank or material possession, but fully accept Jesus' assessment of greatness by actually being a servant and a slave. We actually are taking Jesus at face value. In this culture, Jesus assesses achievement and success completely differently than the world that we live in. I know you've heard that before. Hear it again. I need to hear it today. So we fully accept the fact that Jesus here says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great must be what? Okay, whoever wants to be first, last in some of your versions, or it says this, slave. Practically. We should be constantly looking for and dreaming about ways that we can serve and slave. not trying to avoid ways that we can serve and slave. Think about it. We've actually come to the place in our lives and in the church that the first thing we think about when someone calls us to service is we think about this. Do I have the time? Do I really want to do that? Do I have the gifts? I need to pray about that which is a bunch of horse crap because that's just a real way for me it is I mean I've done it many times I've prayed about it it comes just a real beautiful high tech spiritual way of rationalizing the fact that I want to say no in five days that's just me I'm going to tell you something brother sister I got a problem it's me But I have a hope. It's Him. 
See, some of us have lost the complete touch of the central meaning of this scripture when Jesus says, if you want to be first, be last. Because when you think of service, at the center of service is sacrifice. In the way of the cross, culture completely rejects the preoccupation with self and completely embraces a preoccupation with the way Jesus did it. Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So what do we do? We don't serve because we're guilty, because we ought to or should. So don't walk up to me today and say, Joel, I'll just clean the sanctuary with a toothbrush forever. Just be a martyr for the Lord. Service. We don't serve because of shame. I'm such a screw-up. I need to do something good to appease God. Pay my penance. We don't do that. You know why we serve? We serve because we have been the recipients of service. God served us by sending us His Son and dying. He walked the death march. He gave up His life. And because He did that, we do it. And it comes from a beautiful place of love like that. That's why we serve. It's a good intro. Think about it. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for your scriptures, it's uh, hard for me to uh, even hear this because uh, I'm a very selfish individual. I don't like to uh, think about things that have to do with looking outside of myself. I find it very difficult that you would ask me to suffer with you, that you would actually say it's a privilege for me because I have much pain in my life, as well as many of my friends in this room do. And Lord, I I sometimes don't understand it, and I don't understand you. And I pray uh, that you would be kind and gentle with us like you were with these apostles. I pray that we would be able to come to you even with our hurts and our pain, and that you would help us, Lord, in the cup that we bring that you would be our strength and our song, and that we would even trust you in the depths. I pray for many of my friends here who are in in very deep, deep need and hurt this morning. I pray, Lord, for you to minister to them this morning. I pray that we would um, learn what it means to drink the communal cup with each other. And Lord, I, I pray that you would convict us to see our lives differently than how we see it. I pray that we would learn to really, you would really give us a picture of what service could mean actually in our our lives. We thank you in your name. Amen.